everybody and welcome to the fourth episode in our series, A Road Less Traveled, where we seek out the brave and inspiring individuals who are doing extraordinary things to help protect our environment and communities. They have said no to a straightforward life and instead stepped out to make a difference to both our beautiful earth and indeed all the characters they meet along the way. So today we zoom south to the continent of Africa and my favorite country of all, that being Zimbabwe a place where I indeed spent my gap year, so forgive me if I stop, keep going down memory lane. Zimbabwe clearly has not been on the map due to the destruction of Mugabe's years, but we are here to try and change just that, as the country is calm and after the COVID, it is ready to receive visitors once again. Today, we are going to meet the legendary Andrew Connolly, our iconic Zimbabwean warrior and the gorgeous flick. Who is helping Andrew run Antelope Park? For those of you on Zoom, you can see this chaotic pair. Flick, uh, obviously, is the glamour. Andrew is the old, my <laughs> wizened rhinoceros in the, in the photo. <laughs> Within the age. Um, anyway, Andrew, he has seen his shape in all sizes, in all shapes and sizes, from the thriving pre-Mugabe years. God, when I was there, the fields, covered in glorious mangoes and tobacco, the tourist industry thriving. You know, I, God, can you remember those days? Oh, but I'd be shocked if I came back. Anyway, today as we know, Zimbabwe is a different story. The country is clearly not what it used to be, but due to the unbreakable resilience of the characters that live there, and Andrew in particular, protecting and fighting behind the scenes, he has invested in people and places, and that is why we're talking to him today and about Antelope Park. Flick, on, in contrast, is a true English rose. Like many of her forebearers, she fell in love with Africa and she never left. She is now helping Andrew run all the volunteering aspects of the business, and we will hear more about how that runs as we go through this little podcast. Antelope Park, this is home to the Alert African Lion Environmental Research Trust, which focuses on many exciting conservation and community projects, which include lions, elephants, horses, interwoven with healthcare and clinical initiatives for the community. It is an inspiring thing that these African wizards have put together. So, hello Zimbabwe, hello Andrew and Flick. Let's get started. Let's Hello, get the Millie. fun started with Wizard Rhino. Andrew, <laughs> so you, <laughs> you are the Wizard Doll character, uh, <laughs> the, the true Zimbo. So come on, just, just give us a brief history of your, your, your fascinating past. All right, you've covered quite a bit. Born in, born in Buluo in Zimbabwe, Millie, in 1951. 1951? Um, the son pioneer grandfather who came with special John Rose's columns in 1894. Um, last of nine children, big families in those days. So you're quite right. I experienced the wonderful Zimbabwe that you knew from 1951 up till 1980 and for a time after that, where it was in those days, the second wealthiest country in Africa yeah. with 5% unemployment. And today, sadly, sadly, we're at the stage where we are now one of the the second poorest country in Africa and with a 95% unemployment. Um, hence, I had an amazing upbringing in an amazing country, but 
it's, it's, it's in my blood, it's in my bones, it's in my heart. And one of the main things that I want to do, Millie, is to impact positively on people's lives and conservation in this country that is still my home, will always be my home. Um, and, and that's why I stayed in Zimbabwe. Um, a majority of the European population left, um, probably 95%, but which leaves even more work for those of us that are left here. And so through the volunteering program and the various businesses we run, really from Cape Town up to, up to Egypt now, it's not just Zimbabwe, obviously that's where my first passion is because it's home, but it's, the need is across Africa to make a difference, to help people and, and to encourage them and to interlink conservation and community programs. So it's, it's something I love doing. It's something I wake up every morning excited about. Um, and I just love having, I think one of my biggest inspirations is having someone like the English Rose sitting here next to me to, to work with and, and, and to see her excitement and belief in the future. So that, that's who I really am. We've lost, um, we were big cattle ranchers up until 2002 with a lot of ranches and a lot of cattle, a lot of homesteads, and we lost all that overnight. So it was really starting from scratch again at, at about 50 years old. So, which, to hold on. So, the yes. cattle ranch was that destroyed in the Mugabe years? So, that finished then? Yeah, my, my, we, we bought, my father bought the first cattle ranch in, in 1939, um, and we built and developed up to a total of 120,000 acres. The big thing is that we employed um, several hundred people. We worked closely with our communities, building schools, giving them grazing, dipping their cattle, planting crops for them, and all that sort of thing. But um, that isn't what the Robert Mugabe government wanted. They didn't want. They wanted. They didn't want people to depend on us. They wanted people to depend on them. And then, of course, that's all mainly gone to politicians and stuff. But. Um, so yes, that was started and then we built up and built up and built up, but it, in, we lost it overnight. So Friday night, we had it, Saturday it was gone. Basically that's how, that's, it wasn't just me, there was four that and a half thousand people. Yeah, but we, we kept, honestly, I mean it, Millie, um, we, we kept going. I think it's in my genes, my grandfather left Scotland at a 16 year old and ran away from home and came to Africa. He walked up from Johannesburg uh, to Bulawayo with a donkey to catch the pioneer column. So I think it's in our genes. Um, and, you know, there's nowhere else I would go. Um, and I would never betray my father and my forefathers by leaving the country of this my birth. Land. So is this Antelope Park still on that land? Still on? No. The... no. Okay. I lost all that went. That was in southern Malabila land, um, right in the area where... Cecil John Rhodes is buried. We were, my father's buried um, 10 miles from where Cecil John Rhodes was buried. Um, so that was all gone. And then I started again. I had bought Antelope Park just before um, we lost all the land down there. So I'd already started. But because of the community work, Millie, we were doing um, a lot of community work with schools, clinics, feeding street kids, hospitals, old age home visits, etc. We were doing that with um, already, and we were doing a lot of conservation work, and I became very friendly with a wonderful man who was the governor of the Midlands, and he just said, you leave this man alone. So I'm one of only very few that were left on the land, a lot of it because many of the work that we were doing here at Antelope Park, even at that, at that time, in, well, 18 years ago. 
So 18, so Antelope Park 18 years ago, and then Flick. So then, hold on, so before I get to Flick, so then the, the animals that you're conserving, so how did you, you started, you know, the animal conservation? When did that start? Presumably... Okay, Right. It's on a, a, 18 years ago is when they, when they started taking, 18, 20 years ago is when they started taking all the land. But yeah. I actually bought the park in 1986, but there, I wasn't doing much because I had my cattle ranches, so my focus yeah. wasn't on here. However, just on the animal side, when I bought Antelope Park, there was six lions. Um, and we had some cubs. Um, and the mother, not, it's like in the wild, only 30% of cubs survive in the wild. The mothers didn't really... The, if it's the first cubs, especially, we they don't always raise them properly. So we took we raised the cubs ourselves, and I started as they grew. We started to walk with these cubs throughout the game park with my children who were young then, um, and my wife Wendy. And we would walk, walk. We, I just noted that I just observed, observed their natural hunting instincts developing. You don't have to teach a lion anything. And the more we took them out, the more they started to hunt and to follow and to stalk. And then they would catch a small steenbuck. And I thought, oh my word, this is amazing. And then the exciting part for me was when they didn't want to come home. You know, that was because they said, hey, this is where we belong. So in that time, an idea started to form in my head and I started reading quite a bit about the lions. And there is no species in Africa that has suffered such a decline in numbers over the last 50 years and the line is 90 percent so numbers went from three to four hundred thousand lines 30 to 40 years ago down to roughly sixteen thousand now and diminishing still at a rapid rate mainly because of animal human conflict so i then millie um i then met a massive hotelier sun city hotels in dubai um and he had done a lot of research of incoming tourists into South Africa, 90% of them want to see the lion. So a game park without a lion, without lions, is really not a sustainable business. Now, a game park needs to generate funds to keep it going. Mm. So we explored more, and a, a professor from Coventry University working me for me, funded by Coventry for five years, had MSCs, we did guys doing internships on our lion program. And a lot of work, a lot of research. We've invested over $3 million in the program. Um, and it's come a long, long way. And everybody says, well, when are you going to do your first release? I said, I'm going to do my first release when I'm ready. When it, I know that the communities aren't going to poach the animals and animals aren't going to get into the communities. But all I want to say is that we've made, we've got 4,000 square kilometers up in the northwest of Zimbabwe. That is ideal. But massive snares, massive poaching. We've got teams in there at the moment. Um, we've redeveloped the research station. And that is the ideal one. Once we've done that, Millie, once we've done one successful release, many will follow in various parts of Africa. And I've got no doubt about that. Mm. I think the biggest thing, Millie, is I've got an, un you'll chat to them over the next few days, an unbelievable team, passionate, believing team working in this program with me. Uh, my, my, lead, my head of it is Dr. Norman Monks, who's a 37 years in Barbie National Parks. He's, 73 years old, PhD on lions, MSc on rhino, a legendary man. Nobody knows wildlife better than him. And we're working right now on that with the World Wildlife Fund. 
WWF have just given us a, a grant to collar some elephants, a good grant. Okay, so WWF believe in us. I don't know if you've heard of Wild Crew. Mm -hmm. That's Crew stands for Conservation Research Unit of Oxford University. We're working with them. So we're working with some very high profile um, organizations that believe in us more and more. They've criticized us first, but now WWF has just given us a really nice grant, which buys elephant collars and funds us so for just, a few months. Just, just butting in with my kind of... So no, butting in whenever you want and tell me to shut up if I'm talking too much. No, 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 you're not. No, you can, you can, you can crack on. Um, the, why can't you release, why can't you release them straight into a Huangi National Park or, or, or a national park? Why can't you do that? Why does it have to be into another controlled zone? Okay. I tell you why, one of the reasons we don't do that, if, if a lion wanders out of Huangi National Park and it goes in, goes into the communal area, which, which Huangi okay. National Park is completely surrounded by, it's immediately shot. Okay, if it kills goats or anything like that, or a hunter or somebody like that will shoot that. And in fact, Millie, lions are called and enticed out of some of the game parks in Africa, specifically for to be hunted or to be put down because of the value of their body parts for the overseas market. So eventually it needs to be, I know people don't like it because of the romantic idea of wild game roaming all over Africa, but it needs to be a couple of hundred thousand acres of fenced area we're working on some very smart technology with American universities and so on, where the lions will be collared. Um, but it's also, it's, it's completely humane. But if a lion gets near to the boundary of the park, that Millie would then give it a small little shock and it will go back and only need one or two of those and they, they soon adjust. It's like a dog. Yeah, yeah I, dog. all dogs have one. Okay, so if, oh, well, there, I don't feel too bad now. <laughs> so Millie, if this if we put this together over the next few months and we're working with top universities and top technology guys, it could transform the conservation of Africa. You could put it on on the matriarch matriarch of an elephant herd, the cow, because they will all follow her. Yeah. And if she got to the boundary of the park and got a shock, she would turn around and go back. And the the rest of the herd would follow her. You only need to do one. And these are the elephants that are getting shot because they're destroying crops. It could transform the conservation of Africa. It really could. Well, that's exciting. So, in your, Very, so that, I mean, that is hugely exciting. So, but on Antelope Park, how many, how many lions have you got now? I have um, just under 80 lions. We feed two and a half tons of meat a week. They are in nice big enclosures way bigger than what's necessary required by all the different societies 40 to 50 of those are ready for release okay so people said well why have you got so many i've faced huge criticism over the years but people don't come and look and they don't see what's going on um about 40 to 50 of those are suitable for release and will be for several years to come but the big thing is with the lines that we've got here uh, millie i think i mentioned before but right from day dot, I was a cattle farmer, so we kept stud books for our cattle and, and all that sort of stuff. Right from day one, we've done DNA testing through the Chicago Zoological Society and now another company in, in another big organization in Namibia. And I have got probably the best gene pool of lions in Africa that aren't crossbred or interbred. So the important thing here, Millie, is that we could, you could, a sustainable lion population is really a, is 
once it gets below about 150 to 200, it's not enough. But we could introduce our new male lions into Game Park by, and we'd be thus introducing new genes. So I've got a gene pool second to none. Um, here, right here at Antelope Park. So it's not just releasing a whole pride. We could say, okay, Matusadana National Park up on Lake Kariba in northern Zimbabwe. When I used to run safaris there, photographic safaris, there's 180 lions. There's 13 left. One, three. Is that all? That's shocking. 13 in Matusadana. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's people don't really see, well, understand what's happening. In the news over here, you know, it's always about the rhino. It's all about the elephants. You never really no. hear about the plight of the lion. No, so, you don't. It's far more serious. So 13 left. Now, that is not a sustainable because the father's going to, the male is going to mate on his daughters, his granddaughters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, gonna, that's, but so what if we put a new male in there or two new females? And we can DNA test the lines there. We said, right, let's take that male. So it's like having a stud herd of cattle mm. for the future of various game parks in Africa. That's why, and, and it's a wide Super range. Exciting. So just, I just yes. want to cut, I just want to cut that because you do have this, this special love of the lions, which I do understand. But can we just tell our viewers, uh, actually, I don't understand how, because you've actually lost your arm to the jaws <laughs> of a lion. Before I go over to, to the lovely flick, can we just hear about the loss of the arm? Was it really like something? You want to hear how it happened? Huh? You want to hear how it happened? Yes, I would be fascinated. Okay, it was that in the early happened. days, I, I, had, I was broke financially, starting business. I had a French film company arrived, and they said, we want to make this film. It was about a, it was a fable written by a French director. He'd read it as a kid, and he wanted to make a movie of this. It's called Serga. But I needed to get five lines doing amazing things, but it's actually what really got me going in business. So I needed some adult lines and he contacted the circuses and they said, forget it, forget it. You never, you'll never get this. Um, it was a story of a little boy journeying back. He was taken by the, uh, the slave traders to North Africa. He escaped and he journeyed back with him and his spear from North Africa back to where he came from in Zimbabwe or South Africa. Okay. Yeah. And I had to get, had to get him meeting a kudu and I had to get him meeting this. But the one scene I had to get him walking up a riverbed and he had to walk into four lions sitting on a rock. Now, we're not a circus. Okay, so now I've got to get four or five, actually. Five adult male lions on a rock. So now I had some lions that we had hand-raised, my wife, Wendy and I, okay? <laughs> but I only had three. So we had another lion that was given to us, but it was about two years old. Um, and it was orphaned from Wanky National Park. His parents... Um, it had been shot out and badly snared. So we took it, but it hadn't been raised by humans. So it, I put it within some of my other, the cages with my other lines that I was going to use that I thought I could use for this film. So I came home one night, um, one evening, and I, every evening I used to go and scratch them. I'm on the outside of the enclosure, okay? The lines on the inside. Uh, so I said hello to my three guys that I thought could get to use. I went over to say hello to this one that... And the bugger grabbed my flipping jacket on my, by my left arm, okay? And he, then he grabbed my hand. Now, I'm on the outside, and this line is on the inside. Now, he's trying to pull me over two-meter half fence onto the two-meter half fence onto the inside. So, and he wouldn't let my hand go. So, I'm now going over and over and over, and he's and then, he, then the other part of my arm, then he starts ripping it to pieces with his claws, 
and 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 uh, and I'm trying to keep my neck away from him because I'm now at the top of the fence and I've got 129 stitches here here on my shoulder. Uh, he missed my jugular by about an inch. So I was trying to, and I was punching him with this hand, um, and he then he took this thumb off. Had a plastic surgery. <laughs> Anyway, a nephew of her who was staying in my house heard me shouting and he grabbed it stupidly enough. He, oh, not stupidly, grabbed a two liter Coke because he couldn't find the fire extinguisher, shook it and sprayed him and let me go. And the line let me go and I fell down in a heap. But my arm was still there, but it was ripped to pieces. So, so he, then the, he saved um, your life with a Coca Cola. No, he did. No, he actually did because he was his fault. So that, that's, that's how that, and since then, <laughs> Um, everything besides my English rose here has been I've built single-handedly, as I told you the other day. So that's that story. Amazing, God, and you still like them? Okay. <laughs> so, so, okay. So moving on to the lovely Flick. So Flick, just just tell us. If, I know some of you might be listening on a podcast and you can't see Flick, but you know we're talking the English rose straight out of England, and now she's you know getting used to the kind of the dust of Zimbabwe. So, um, Fleck, tell us, how you're still here. When did you first get to Antelope? So, I first arrived at Antelope Park at the beginning of 2018. So, it was during my gap year, and I was 18 at the time. And I had originally, about three years prior to that, I did a school expedition to Malawi. And as part of that Malawi expedition, we were renovating uh, classroom blocks and working with the rural community out in a the village there. And it was as part of that trip that we went on a safari. And that was the first time that I saw the African elephant and I saw a hippo. And it was just this completely overwhelming feeling of, wow. I don't think I've ever kind of felt that amazed and just awe-inspired in my entire life. So it was there and then I decided, okay, I need to see more of this country. I need to see more of this wildlife. And it was pretty much then that I decided that a gap here was on the cards for me. I was very much set in my ways of following the straight and narrow path of going to university and, and all of that. Um, but no, I decided to take a year out, which ended up being a little bit longer than expected uh, <laughs> and I decided that I needed to come and see yeah more of African wildlife so I then decided that I knew I wanted to see lions obviously when you think of Africa what you think of straight away is a symbol of the lion and so I did a lot of research online obviously when you're looking for things that specifically focus on wildlife there are a lot of places out there unfortunately that don't do it very well or don't do it for the right reasons oh so no i know that exactly so i was scrolling through a hell of a lot of programs and doing a lot of in-depth research and i was quite i was really quite struggling actually to find something that actually did some good and that actively helped the lion population so after a lot of scrolling i eventually came across antelope park and it's, I'm not just saying this because I'm here now. Well, being here now should hopefully be enough proof to people that actually I completely fell in love with the place. So I arrived here, I was coming for a four week placement, which became five weeks, and then a couple of weeks in Cape Town, and then that turned into three years. <laughs> oh, God, how nice. How very nice. So, Flick, are you now in charge of all the volunteers? So now we're on Antelope Park, just for the listeners and the viewers, you now take volunteers 
who assist with all the projects that you have on ongoing and these projects which for sustainable development it has to involve the wildlife and the communities because they have to work together to become a kind of cohesive it's like some kind of symbiotic ecosystem isn't it you've got to have them together so the volunteers that come they then live on antelope park and get involved with so we have a variety of different programs so we have our kind of wildlife conservation program which is kind of at the heart of everything we do everything we do at antelope park always comes back to the wildlife conservation side of things so we have a specific project that focuses on that and kind of today we've really turned that into an all-encompassing program which incorporates our lions our elephants our free roaming wildlife out in our game park it includes um wildlife protection efforts conservation education animal management welfare development it's just a great big combination of everything that we do on the ground to not only protect our wildlife um, populations but also to make it help it flourish really yeah. amazing amazing and so a typical day a typical day for a volunteer would just like in a nutshell so you'd start off the morning uh, very very normally and boring with an elephant walk you know oh, kind of has to be done i suppose yeah. you know they have to go on for a team and do that yeah. and go and store the elephants in the bush for an hour yeah yeah, tricky. sorry about that. Yeah, that's not nice. Yeah, no, it reminds me of what I do every morning, walking the dog, in fact. Exactly. <laughs> so we start off with a walk um, up with the elephants. Um, a big part of working with the elephants is, again, the behaviour enrichment side of things. So our elephants spend the whole day roaming the park, and they'll be up from six in the morning till six in the evening, completely free roaming. And our elephants are free roaming. We actually got them um, as orphans uh, back in the in the 2000s because of a drought um but because this area is it is it is a slightly smaller area i mean obviously we are a, a smaller area compared to what elephants really are used to roaming freely on mm. so behavior enrichment activities with the elephants are really important it stimulates their natural behaviors and that can include anything from new scents new smells taking them to water they get really really stimulated when they're swimming um and it's the most incredible thing to see you ever seen elephants swim my goodness me it's the most incredible thing you'll ever see. Um, so that will start with the elephants they, and behavior okay. enrichment there. No, no, I was just visualizing the elephant swimming, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> and then the mid-morning activity will then be anything to do with animal management. So it'll be the really important stuff like making sure the lions have got water, making sure that they're, they're, they're clean, making sure that any boma and, and fences are fixed and all the kind of the nitty gritty kind of hands-on animal management stuff which is really important to obviously keeping our animals healthy and then in the afternoon they could be doing probably what is the most important thing that we actually do here well in my opinion everything we do is obviously important but the wildlife protection side of things is just Amazing. completely vital so and that's also how our horse project also combines with with kind of wildlife protection is simply having a presence on the ground whether it's on foot, whether it's in a vehicle, whether it's on a horse, however it is, having that presence consistently on the ground is a huge deterrent to anyone who would be planning to come in and potentially leave some very nasty traps for our animals. So everything that we do then in anything that involves our game park is in essence an anti-poaching and wildlife protection tool. So we also do boundary patrols, 
we do snare sweeps so we're looking for specific wire traps so wire traps it's a very unfortunate it's a very uh, cheap way to potentially snare an animal mm. and these people can come into the park and they can leave these traps on the ground and, and an animal comes across it gets stuck in it and they basically get strangled to death it's in a horrific horrific way for an animal to die so what our volunteers are doing simply being on the ground looking for these snares making sure there's no holes in the boundary fence is really quite really? literally safe African wildlife and communities as well because that also is where our community project comes in um, we do a lot with the communities um, ultimately our kind of conservation model is you we can't we can never achieve true conservation without our local communities on site yeah which means that our local communities need to benefit from our wildlife protection efforts which means that we also go into local schools we provide individualized teaching assistance to kids falling behind we renovate rural schools we we do feeding schemes and then on the medical side we we take volunteers into the medical clinics who help out with vital uh, vital duties that free the healthcare professionals up so they can attend to the more important stuff um, because then if the community can see that we are physically supporting them and helping them and we are addressing their needs because that's how community projects work. We work with the communities to find out what they need. We don't go in there and say, oh, you need this and that. We find out from them what would they benefit from. And then we can then provide the manpower and the resources through our volunteers to, to address those needs. So, a so what is needed is a continual nice flow of volunteers to really come. I mean, I've always kind of wondered what the max, you know, the perfect time of volunteering. But to me, wouldn't it be lovely if people were there from kind of kind of one month upwards, wouldn't it, to really get a feel for the place, get stuck in and make relationships? Definitely. I would say that, I mean, one thing that any volunteer will say is time completely flies while you're here. So you come for a month and then a week and then what feels like a week later, you're at the end of your placement. Yeah. And what is the nice thing about coming for a month is not only do you then get stuck in with your actual project itself, you also then get the opportunity to actually try other projects on offer. I mean, we very, very rarely get a volunteer who comes on one specific project and doesn't go and try the other project or or multiple projects while they're here because that's kind of what we try we aim to create here is an all-encompassing um kind of fully inclusive experience yeah so they so can see and experience this you know the kind of sustainable development which includes all the facets so they can really kind of live and breathe it all definitely and we always feel that the more someone experiences here the better so it's not just if you book to come on one project, you can't go and experience every, we want them to experience everything on offer. And the more they experience, the more they get a feel for Africa and a more, a better understanding of how conservation and, and wildlife populations and stuff actually work in Africa, the more that people come and see not only our wildlife project, but our community project as well, and then get involved in the conservation education. And they're actively yeah. then, they can see the difference that they're making by, even if it's one kid, and we've now ex experienced it with our community projects where we've seen um we've had reports of more people actually reporting sightings of snares and sightings of, of of poachers because they've now been encouraged and and almost inspired to go and protect that wildlife population yeah, yeah that's fantastic so so when they come and stay with you they're clearly very busy with that but just you know because we are 
giving them the full picture. How far yeah. are you? So at the weekends, when they presumably got time out, time, time, you know, to go off, how far, is it easy to go to Vic Fort, Dick Falls, Hwangi, the, I was about to say Matepa Tepa, but the Matopas, you know, is it, yeah. is it easy to, to get about? Very much so. So we do that. We also on the ground, we offer well, trips and we organize um, trips to the Matopas, to Victoria Falls. And, and that's another thing by coming for a bit of a longer amount of time, you really do have the opportunity to actually go and see more that's on offer. I mean, we say to our volunteers, you simply can't come to Zimbabwe and not go and see the Victoria Falls. That you can't. That's you can't. It's a, it, is, it is a bit of a drive, but if they're willing to leave at three in the morning, get there by 10 and experience everything that's on offer, then everything is more than doable. And we have great people to assist. We have great people to guide. And we're on hand with a lot of knowledge and expertise on exactly what there is to see in Zimbabwe and how to do it in a safe and secure way as well. Have we got an auntie there? Yeah. Perfect. Right. Okay. So moving forward, my job then is to find you lots of leap VIPs that can just get in contact with you and actually get to Zimbabwe. So, and, and I think, you know, quite honestly, you know, th th with the post pandemic, you know, people have been, you know, they kind of can't go to Asia, you can't go to South America. A lot of people have been coming back to Africa, especially up to Kenya and Tanzania this season. So I can really see that the, you know, the peer influence next year and next year and next year will hopefully turn the tide back from Asia and South America back into, a, into Africa, like in my day when it was all about Africa. Yeah, so exactly. I promise I, I've got your back. I'm in. I'm sold. Not that I ever really left. So we'll be sending them. We can't wait to welcome them. That's for sure. Thank you. Thank you.